48th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How are you doing, Roger? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So this week we're talking with Scott Moritz, who covers wireless for Bloomberg. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Don. Hello, Roger. Hey. So, Scott, you recently wrote an article about Dish Network's plans for 5G. Since then, they've released their Q2 earnings. Can you tell us a little bit about where things stand for Dish? Sure. So the story we wrote was about how they're going to relaunch Boost, which is their prepaid plan that they purchased from T-Mobile when that Sprint T-Mobile deal went through. They're also, according to the executive I spoke to, Stephen Sokols, they're also going to relaunch, they'll actually launch a uh, postpaid brand under a different name eventually that will encompass their 5G service. That's what our story basically said. On the earnings call, they didn't shed much more light on the situation other than to say this 5G network will launch in the fourth quarter, which is coming up, and that it is currently going to be a beta test. Uh, I think it's called Project Genesis, where users will sign up, usually friendly users, maybe employees or family of DISH, and test it out before they do an official launch, which they expect to be in about 90 days, they said. Yeah, and, and this was a little bit of a surprise because we all expected them to launch in fourth quarter and not do a beta in fourth quarter. There, there are very persistent rumors in the industry that they are still having problems with getting everything to work. And, you know, especially getting the Altiostar, the, the Mavenir software all to play nice with each other. And, and so we'll see if they can actually make the fourth quarter number. They're working very hard on it, but that's basically it. They're working very, very hard on it. And so that, I think, is the, the reason for that delay from a fourth quarter launch to a fourth quarter you know, beta test. Now, would you attribute that to the fact that this is a, like an almost never been built before type approach to wireless in that if they're attempting to do this open RAN format? Yeah, exactly. And and the the different vendors haven't worked all together yet. Where, you know, you have with the established vendors, you have a relatively good track record of how this stuff works uh, together, but a lot of these things haven't haven't really been done yet and being at the cutting edge means you know sometimes are at the bleeding edge and and that's what's happening here you know with open ran basically on the, the only large scale operation that we have is rakuten and rakuten just bought altio star but rakuten for example doesn't use mavenir other than for the rcs and so it, it's it's going to be interesting to see what how this all works out. Yeah, it's it's a very public gamble by uh, Charlie Ergen, the chairman of Dish. You know, he to us he's called it the, the whole project his project Manhattan, which you know we all know how that went. <laughs> it didn't went too well for the Japanese, I think, right? But is it? I mean, he's talked about. In the, in the past, where he's taken big technology risks, like launching 
digital satellites before anyone else to do the TV programming where everyone else is doing the big analog dish kind of satellites. So he does have a track record of kind of being on the cutting edge with some success. Do you, do you think he's going to bring any of that magic or luck into the, the wireless industry? Well, he's certainly doing the right thing. You know, if, you, if you're building a new wireless network today, you need to do open, open RAN. And you need to do, have a basically software-defined network. The way I understand and know DISH, it's a very hands-on operation where Charlie has runs it as a startup and runs it as his personal company because it is his personal company, right? The reason why why the shareholder calls are are so brief and terse is the main shareholder knows already what's going on because he's running it. And so people who work there can expect to be in daily contact with, with the CEO, which is not the case in at this extent at other companies. So this is a lot of it is is Charlie's personal success and failure because he he embodies that company so much and you know if it's not working it's not working due to a lack of hard work on everybody involved these people are from what i hear are working 6 7 days a week you know 12 hours plus a day it's it's really an extraordinary effort and so when when he compares it to the manhattan program he's not kidding yeah he uh apparently even has a what a stopwatch or a countdown clock in the uh dish headquarters for every employee to see this is a countdown to when they need to get their network up and running to satisfy the fcc builder lose requirements he also has this app on his phone that tells him exactly how many days and hours and minutes he has to launch this new network. So, yeah, you, you know that the, the clock is ticking, essentially. Yeah, the clock is ticking. and uh, But, you know, on, on one hand, yes, it is uh, ticking. On the other hand, AT&T basically gave, gave him the golden ticket by extending the wholesale agreement that he has with them by like more than five years, because it's essentially a 10 plus two, two deal, which extends the, the original relationship he had with T-Mobile substantially. So yes, he has to build the network first 20% of pops, then 70% of pops, then 70% of each PEA. But uh, with AT&T basically betting on him succeeding and giving him a, a really long-term deal, he has to build for coverage, not for capacity, which is a, a huge game-changer for him. Because otherwise, that T-Mobile deal would have run out 2027, 20, right? And, you know, that, that relationship was always contentious. Oh, it got even more contentious, right? And getting hotter, too, yeah. Especially with the network, threat of a network shutdown on that CDMA boost customers. Yeah, and then we have that, that DOJ letter, right? Yeah. Saying both sides have to, to work hard with T-Mobile basically saying, yeah, we'll have these customers one way or another. And 
if you're a prepaid customer with Dish or any other carrier, here's a free phone and great service. And Charlie, why are you not giving them a free phone like we do, right? Yeah, I, I would hate to sit across any negotiation table from, from Charlie. He, he just seems to uh, play his cards as hard, hard as he can. Yes, and he's famous for it. So it, it's going to be very, very interesting. So where does this go next? I, I know that you know now there's supposedly going to be a launch in, I believe, it's early Q4, but it's only going to be a beta, right? Do we have any idea in terms of timelines beyond that, or is that really all that's out there at this point? Obviously, there are you know, coverage milestones we talked about earlier in terms of when his network has to be, or the DISH network has to be up. But are there any other constraints on the build-out that they have right now? Well, I know from the call, they referred to several cities following quickly as soon as Las Vegas is launched. So I think they're keenly aware of getting the coverage out there, although, you know, it's cities and it's not suburbs or rural areas, it seems at first. But there does seem to be a big drive to get this network in more than a handful of cities as quickly as possible. Yeah, and, and from what we know is, you know, some of them will be in in Florida, Miami, Orlando. There, there are things. And one of the things that, that they all have in common is that they're relatively easy to cover. You know, in, in Vegas, you know exactly where population begins and ends, and the desert starts, right? In Miami, you're either in the Atlantic Ocean or in a swamp or in Key West, and it bleeds north a little bit, which basically bleeds you into then Orlando. So these are all relatively well-defined markets that I would consider, you know, the easiest to cover markets in, in this country. You know, I wouldn't be shocked, like, if, if they would, like, cover Des Moines, Iowa, for example, which is, like, also this thing, like, in the in the middle of the country, and it doesn't bleed into any other major metropolitan area. Roger, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Once this 5G network is launched, it's going to be the fourth one out there. How is DISH going to separate this from the pack? How is it going to sell this to customers in a way that other the other carriers aren't able to? And that the other carriers aren't exactly sitting on the sidelines here in terms of marketing and promotion. No, and, and I think he has to be radically different. I have the highest respect for Charlie Ergen. He knows how to break the mold, right? And he has to come basically to the same realization that John Ledger came when he took over T-Mobile. And that was, if I do the same thing as my predecessors, I will have the same outcomes, right? So, you know, $5, and, and we talked about in the in the article, $5 cheaper or $10 cheaper doesn't break the model. We can look to Rakuten in Japan, what they did. And they said, you know, the first gigabyte and unlimited voice and text is free. And with that, they got, what, three, four million customers in a year in a country with a little bit over 120 million people that are fanatic about coverage. And so if you extrapolate that to the U.S., if he would do something like that, he probably get 10 million customers and everybody would be like falling off the rocker. He has to be, he has to be radically different. And if anybody is radically different in this country, it's, it's Charlie Ergen. 
and he hired Stephen Sokols, who uh, used to run Freedom Pop, and their big offer was, I think, free data for the first little increment just to get the name out there. And then uh, they started charging after people were, you know, ran into a few more megabits of data or whatever. So it, it, that might be the model, right? Who knows? I'm not in their cone of silence and I'm, I'm just speculating, right? If I would be in their shoes, what would I do, right? And what have others done who have been very successful in this? And, you know, you can give John Ledger a lot of credit for, for saying, you know, I have to do things differently. And if I don't do things differently, I will not succeed. And he did that. And he took, you know, the runt of the litter that was given up for debt and, and made it into a Rottweiler that's, that's chowing down. And then Mike Siever took over and the character and the persona of the carrier changed. So people matter. But I'm just waiting for them for him to sue AT&T at one point in time, as he said. Like, That's the other piece of this, right? I mean, like, I think part of the success that we've seen at T-Mobile has obviously been in part due to the Sprint merger and, and all the additional assets they acquired as part of that. that. That obviously had to pass regulatory approval. You know, How vested are the regulatory players in, in the U.S. In, in Charlie's success? Right or, or Dish's success with respect to creating a fourth network. Uh, you know, is this something where potentially, you know, he could get some regulatory re- relief in terms of extended timelines for build out or, or, or other things of that nature that could also help and make this happen? I, I think it depends on where, where where he wants to have relief. On one hand, you know, as I said, you know, people matter, and Markim Del Rahim, the DOJ antitrust chief, has left and rode into the sunset. Ajit Pai from the FCC did the same. And so the two biggest champions for this deal are no longer there, right? And they don't have that vested interest to make it happen. So I think on a regulatory basis of like enforcing the the agreement, he can count on it. I'm not sure he can count on build out. What do you think? I think the Biden administration would be pro-consumer in this, in their approach to this. And I think Charlie's already playing, you know, the I'm the going to be the cheaper, better offer in the market. And I don't want my boost customers cut off by T-Mobile because those are the, some of the poorest people with wireless service. So I, I see that maybe things might work in his favor under this administration a little bit more than it might for T-Mobile, just guessing. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. There's a lot of incentive and and drive inside the, the Biden administration to have more competition, more competitors, and they are on the side, as you mentioned, of, of the consumer. So I, I would bet on, on the Biden administration coming down harder on T-Mobile than on Charlie and on Dish with the CDMA shutdown, leaving several million all right well, well we'll keep tabs on it and we'll definitely i think revisit once we we get that launch in q4 uh, i'm sure there'll be lots more to talk about when there's a, a bona fide network that's up and running thanks scott for your time thank you roger thank you thanks Donald. thanks roger 